How are you all doing this morning? I'm doing fine. I'm doing pretty good, really. I feel like a new guy. A little bit I do, really. How can I stop worrying and learn to trust God? I don't know. Uh, about 40-something years preaching, I guess, now. I don't know how many times I've been asked a question to the, this effect. Uh, the wording is different always, but uh, it's always the, the same basic question. Uh, a person worries, they know they shouldn't worry, and they can't stop worrying, and they try. How come? What's wrong? Why can't I do like other people do and conquer my worrying? It's a, worrying's a terrible thing. I've done my share through the years. Uh, it's a terrible thing. Keep you up all night and make your belly hurt. I know one time I had a problem in my stomach because I worried too much and I had to take little pills for it. And uh, I later I became a Christian and uh, a couple years later I, I learned how to overcome that worry. I ain't took a pill since really. Uh, it's good for your health. Worrying, I think, could drive some people insane. Cause them to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. It's a terrible thing to have something in your mind you can't get out of there. But it's a, it's a common problem. People suffer from How can I do it? Well, I want to talk about that. How can I get rid of my worrying? So much, so hard, so long. <clears throat> the text that Bill read just a few moments ago, it had to do with a man who had a boy and he had a, a bad spirit about him. And he found out that the apostles of Jesus were in the vicinity. And he came, uh, he came to them seeking help. He had heard about Jesus, the, the faith healer, and he wanted his son to be healed of course so they tried and they tried and they tried but they did no good and because they couldn't do what jesus seemed to always do the crowd got in an uproar the scribes were leading it these were the most educated of the people at the time they were leading the uh, reproach against the apostles and i would suppose that it was it was getting pretty steamy about the time Jesus showed up. Jesus, James, and John had been on a separate mission for a while, and they had come down off the mountain. And the Lord saw all these people around his disciples. He knew it was an uproar. So immediately he went to them to find out what the problem was. And when he, when he got there, he was told by the father of the boy, your disciples were not able to help me and help my son. And he didn't know what to do. And a dialogue started between him and Jesus. He asked in verse 22, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you could do anything at all to make this better, please, 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 would you please do it? Notice the words, if you can. 
the Lord did. He noticed those three words, if you can. It wasn't a question of if he can, because he could. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He was God in human flesh. And he had the power to do what needed to be done on many occasions. That wasn't the question in hand. The real question was, it was if the Father could believe that Jesus could. And he said to him, if you can believe, it's not me, son, it's you. If you can believe, that's the holdup. All things are possible to him who believes. Basically, he's saying, I can do whatever I want to do. Can you believe in me that I am sent from God? And this was probably one of the most honest men we read about in the New Testament scriptures. He retorted to the Lord, Lord, I believe, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I've always been fascinated by his response. He speaks of his unbelief. Now, most of us don't want to talk about that part. We, we like to talk about our faith, but we don't like to talk about our weakness in faith. Heard about a woman one time. She was told if she prayed to move a mountain, believing that mountain would be moved, and she bowed her head and she prayed. And after she got done praying, she raised her head a little bit and peeked out of one eye. And she said, I didn't think it would move. If you believe, that's the qualifier right there. If you believe, all things are possible to the person who believes. Because that's the person who has the power of God backing them up. Do you believe that? It's very important, my friends. This person admitted the weakness of his faith, and I think that's where it all begins. I can remember when my faith was terribly weak. I was a preacher. I still had weak faith. I wasn't very old. I was only about 27 year old. And uh, I didn't believe a lot of stuff. Not like I ought to. I didn't disbelieve it. But I didn't really believe it. I'd get up and I would teach it to people because it was written in the Bible. But there's so many times what I was teaching, I wasn't living up to. I didn't have much faith. But through the years, I noticed that faith began growing. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger through the years. Now, I told you a little bit earlier that I used to have a problem with worrying to the point where it did upset my stomach, something fierce. But then after, after my faith in God and the things of God, as my faith began to grow, my worrying began to go down. It got lower and lower. As belief increases, worry will decrease. Now that's my saying, not the Lord's. 
And I believe that is true with all my heart. As we learn to trust God, we've got fewer things to worry about. Because one of the things that faith in God does for us, it enables us to let go and just let God take care of it. There's some things I worry about that I couldn't change. I had no power over whatsoever. There was absolutely nothing I could do. And then one day I learned to do the one and only thing I could do. And that was ask the Lord to help me because, man, I ran into a brick wall. And through the years, I've noticed on occasion things that I needed in my life that came to be. It's kind of strange the way things happen sometimes. You don't know exactly how it happened or why it would happen the way it did. But sometimes the thing you need is the thing that comes to you. I remember when I was uh, first starting to preach, I had, uh, I had a lot of teachers. I was going to preaching school, but that doesn't do you a whole lot of good, I didn't think. Uh, it's, it's good what they do, but it doesn't necessarily give you what you need. And the thing that I, I really needed was to hang around with certain men. And when I, when I was around these men on a one-on-one -on -one basis, uh, they taught me things, things that I really needed to know. And after, uh, after three or four years, I looked back over my life and I noticed that I ran into the preachers seemingly at the right time. One preacher was qualified to get to this level with me. The next would get me up a little higher and so on and so forth. How did that happen? I don't know. I asked God for wisdom. I prayed for wisdom all the time. And I believe the Lord was bringing wisdom to me. And he helped me. But I never had an inkling that he did it until long after it was over with. I had to look back and assess things that happened. And then I thought, was this, was God's hand involved in that? I don't know. I can't say it was. But in all honesty, I kind of thought it was. But one thing I'm certain of, if we can increase our faith, our worries will diminish. Some form of worry is to be expected. Sometimes people say you ought not worry at all. If you worry, that's, a, that's indicative of your lack of faith. If you have faith, as a mustard seed, they might say, you wouldn't worry at all. Well, I got a feeling when they go home, they do their fair share of worrying too. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to actually be living it. And the person who says you ought not have any worry at all, in my estimation, is a person who doesn't know very much at all. Because if you're human, you're going to worry. 
There's no way to get around it. How much you worry, that's what we're concentrating on. But you will worry, no matter who you are. I do, and you will too. So don't feel like you've failed because you don't have all faith. Paul prayed for all faith, but he never got it. He was a disciple all of his life. He was learning all of his life. We're not going to ever have faith in this world that will kill any type of worry. It just won't happen. I promise you it won't happen. I'll show you why. Listen to what Paul said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 8, Paul was talking about uh, his experiences as a, a traveling preacher, all the things he went through with people in various cities, how they had beaten him and one time they actually left him for dead and the brethren picked him up and took him on and he revived. He had a, a lot of really, really bad experiences in his life. But then at, at the end, he finally said in verse 28, Be, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. Now look at this last statement. My deep concern for all the churches. My deep concern. He worried about all the churches. Especially, I suppose, the churches that he had planted. He, he went around the, the country. He established churches in various places. He imparted certain gifts to them. He got them up on their feet a little. And then he moved on to another place and do the same thing there. And he knew that the church, the saints and the churches, he knew they were weak. They hadn't had a whole lot of instruction, just as much as he could give. Now, he did give them gifts whereby they attained knowledge and they could teach it to one another. But it was a slow go. And they, like us, they had to fight temptations as they tried to learn. And they struggled and they struggled trying to get up on their feet and be a strong congregation. And Paul said, I worry about him every day. And he did. You worry about things you love, don't you? You worry about your, your children when they go to school. You worry about your daughter when she goes on a date. You worry about your son when he's supposed to be in at 11 o'clock. And here you are at 1 o'clock and he hasn't made it yet. You may worry so much that you get in the car and try to find him. Does that mean you have no faith? No, it does not. It means you have a great deal of love, but it has nothing to do with your faith. Don't let anybody tell you you should never have worries because that's just not true. The Apostle Paul, with all he had going for him at this time, he still had a number of concerns, things he worried about every day, and so were you. You're no different than he was. One thing to remember is the fact that the Lord, he really loves us. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But there's a, a great many other passages that teach us about the love of God. Job, in chapter 31 and verse 4, said, does he not see my ways? 
and count on my steps. Now, some of you, you know the situation Job was in at this time. He'd been sick for a pretty good while now. I mean, he was sick, 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 sick. He was on the verge of dying. His flesh was rotting on the bone. Maybe he had leprosy. I don't know. I think he did, but I don't know. But Job, sometimes it appears that Job was in so much pain that he spoke against the Lord. It's almost like he was out of his mind. And he was saying things that was completely out of character for this old man. But then sometimes he, he would be at himself. The pain would subside just a bit. And he'd, he'd be in his right mind, I think. And he knew, even though he thought maybe the Lord was, was, was tormenting him, he knew when he was at himself, he knew that God loved him. Does he not see my ways? Does he not count all my steps? He knew God was with him. And then the pain would overcome him again. And he would say things that were not nice at all. David, in the 56th Psalm, David was a prisoner of the Philistines at this time. And that wasn't good. He was a Jew. And he spoke to the Lord saying, you number my wanderings. The Lord is with him wherever he goes, basically is what he's saying. You put my tears into your bottle. It's as though the Lord has a bottle for each one of us. And every time we shed a tear, he catches that tear in his bottle. As a reminder of the suffering his child was going through. He said, are they not in your book, your book of deeds? Have you not recorded my entire life? Though David was a prisoner at this time to the Philistines, he knew God loved him. He knew God was with him. He knew God knew his heart. And that's what he relied on. Rather than allowing worry about what was fixing to happen to overcome him, David was thinking about how much God actually loved him. And if we were in the place David was at that time, you know, death might not have seemed too bad. At least you could step into eternity and get out of a horrible situation. Whatever the Lord decided to do, David, David could live with it. Divine providence. Usually when I think about divine providence, I think about Joseph. Uh, Joseph was one of the most remarkable people in the Old Testament. Joseph was a man, but a better man than me, much better. He was, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was bought by a man named Potiphar. He was put in his house. He was accused of trying to rape his wife. And he was put into prison. And in prison, Joseph had the mind, I shouldn't be in prison, but I am. And as long as I am, I'm going to be the best prisoner I can possibly be. 
And because he was, it was only a matter of time before he got in to see the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh was so taken by the ability Joseph had to see the future, to read his dreams and see the future. He was so moved by it that he made Joseph his number two man. It only took about, I'd say about 14 years. Joseph, a Jew in the land of Canaan, and 14 years later, he's the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the earth. 14 years. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Look at the life of Joseph, and you're going to see it. Joseph, though, you can imagine how mad he was with his brothers. They sold him into slavery. He had to have been angry with them. It was their fault that all this happened. He may have been the second most powerful man in Egypt, but he wanted to be in Canaan. That was God's land, and that's where he wanted to live. But here he is in Egypt because I'm sorry, brothers of mine. But Joseph, uh, rather than drudging that up in his mind all the time, Joseph was an open-minded kind of fella. And after his brothers came to get food from Joseph because there was a famine in the land, Joseph tested them to see if they were the same men they were when they sold him into slavery. He found out they were not. They were very different. They were very sorry for what they had done to Joseph and the pain they had caused their daddy when they did it. If there was any way to undo it, they would do it, but they couldn't. And now here's Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. He's taking him captive. What will these boys do? One of them said, take me in his place. The very one that headed up the movement to sell him. Well, actually, he wanted to kill Joseph back at the time that they took him. Joseph knew that they had changed. He pondered all the things that had happened. Remarkable, marvelous things. How can a Jew... Go to the palace of the Pharaoh in 14 years. That's just unbelievable. You know, Joseph, he couldn't eat with the Egyptians because Egyptians wouldn't eat with a Jew. The Jews were scum. And they wouldn't eat with him. But they respected him. They feared him. I suppose many of them looked up to him because of what he did for their nation. And then it dawned on Joseph. When he met his brothers, he knew who they were. They knew who he was. They were scared to death that he would retaliate and take their lives. And Joseph said, it was not you who sent me here. It wasn't you. Oh, you were the hands and the feet that did the bad deed. But you were only playing your part in the providence of God. It wasn't you who really put me here. It was God. God, using the evil brothers of Joseph to begin with, 
God allowed Joseph to be transported from Canaan to Egypt so he could attain his position of power so that when a famine came some 14 years later, when a famine came, Joseph would be in a position where he could save his father's family. And he was, and he did. So Joseph realized, you know, a lot of bad people involved, but God, God was the puppet master. He was arranging things the way they needed to be to get Joseph out of Canaan and into Egypt. We call it divine providence. I think it's one of the most marvelous subjects in all the Bible. I love to study divine providence. It just makes me crazy. It is so magnificent the way the Lord can manipulate various things during human life and bring about his desired result without ever directly interfering. Though on this occasion he did interfere once when he allowed Joseph to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. That was a miraculous action, but that was the only one. Well, he read Pharaoh's dream, so that's two. <laughs> that's the only divine intervention that was used in the whole affair. Divine providence, and the steps of providence are not definitively known. We don't know when the Lord is moving us during our life. We don't know. We can't know because we have to walk by faith. I know the Lord works in our lives providentially. I know that. I know he works in all of our lives providentially because he loves us. And there are certain things he wants us to avoid. There are certain things he wants us to accomplish. We are his servants after all. And as we live, the Lord providentially directs our steps on a number of occasions. Oh, he doesn't whisper in our ear. He doesn't pick us up and move us over. But he knows how to work within the laws of our environment and bring about his desired results. We don't know it. Sometimes after it's over and we get a little further down the road, we look back over what happened, we think, huh, wow, that was, that was magnificent. That was, that was quite a coincidence. It may have been a coincidence, but if you belong to God, it may have been providence. You won't know. You can't know because we walk by faith, not by sight. But sometimes if you're like me, you'll say, well, I'm 95% sure it was providence. Not 100%. That's not possible. But 95? Mm, that one sounds more reasonable to me. It's a wonderful, wonderful subject. Nestor chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai and Esther had an opportunity to spare the Jews from certain death. And Mordecai was trying to convince Esther to do what she needed to do. She was married to the king. And he wanted her to talk to them and reveal the fact that she was a Jew. And according to the decree that's been sent forth, I can be put to death. Please, dear hubby, don't let that happen to me. And she was afraid to because if she approached the king without being told to come, she could be put to death. 
just, just to go in his presence, you would be put to death unless he had previously invited you. He hasn't invited me. If I go into his presence, I can be put to death for the very act. And Mordecai, I continue to tell her this is what she had to do for the sake of your people. And then he, he said, who knows, Esther? Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this? Mordecai I didn't claim to know, but he knew that it was possible that God had guided her steps and made her become the queen of this king. Perhaps, he said, perhaps that's what happened. This was God's doing. If you refuse to do it, and it was God's doing, you'll be refusing God, Esther. You don't want to do that. Paul was, wrote a letter to Philemon about his slave Onesimus. Onesimus had run off. He had come to Rome. He found Paul, who was in prison. Onesimus wasn't a Christian, but he knew Paul could help him understand what it took to be a Christian. So he found Paul, he talked with Paul, and sure enough, Paul converted him to become a Christian. And Paul said, now the first thing you've got to do, my Christian brother, is you must go back to Philemon. He owns you. And you stole his property, so to speak. You have to repent. You have to take his property, which was Onesimus. You have to go back and face the consequences. Well, Onesimus did what Paul said. And Paul gave him a letter. This is the letter we call Philemon. He said, give this letter to Philemon. And Paul explained to him what a blessing Onesimus had been to him. Now he was a Christian. He was a member of the family. He wasn't just a slave. He's your brother, Philemon. Think about it. Think wisely. And then he said, perhaps, perhaps, maybe, who knows, but maybe he departed for a while for this purpose, that he would become a Christian, that you might receive him forever. Who knows, Philemon? Was this escape orchestrated by God? Think about it. Do you really want to go against the Lord? Philemon could have put Onesimus to death had he chosen to do so. It appears he did not, however. Divine providence, if we know it and we understand it, know it as well as we can at least, uh, it will curb our worrying. We don't have to worry so much. We can worry less because we know the Lord is ultimately in control. I get upset sometimes about national affairs in our country. Uh, some, I mean, I get sometimes, I get very upset because of some of the things that happen. The, uh, the bad things, the, the crookedness, the, the, all the bad stuff. And 
I can work myself up into a lather. And then I'll remind myself, perhaps this is the Lord's doing. Perhaps he put the right people in the right place so that what could happen is happening. Perhaps it's occasion for us to be punished for our national sins. Perhaps this is the will of God. Do I want to fight God? I think we ought to do what we know to be right all the time. But do I want to try to undo what the Lord has done? I think not. It's just, a, it's just an occasion for more pain. What do you do in a case like that? You be the best person you can be. Just like Joseph. Remember Joseph? He was cast in the prison. It wasn't right. He had done good, but he's being punished. It wasn't right. But he thought, God is in heaven, and I'm in prison. I'm going to live. I'm going to be the best prisoner I can be and leave it in God's hands. And that's what he did. When a person is so minded to let the will of God prevail, to be the best person they can be and let God take care of the rest of this stuff. Because we know we can't let God take control. I think you're talking about a person who's going to do well. And once you turn loose of that worry and leave it to God, you've turned loose of that bellyache. I don't have a bellyache. I get aggravated a great deal, but I don't have a bellyache. I don't, I don't let it get that bad. I've always been a high-strung sort of fella and try not to, but the best I do is try. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus said, Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on your body. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That word anxious right there means or suggests don't keep on worrying. Okay? You're going to worry a little. You're going to worry about it. But don't let worrying take control of your life. Because worrying is not going to help you. In the long run, worrying is not going to help you. It's going to give you a bellyache. Be the best you you can be and let God take care of the rest. That's his business. He's the one that promised to take care of us. Seek first the kingdom of God, he said, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, I'm going to seek God and his righteousness, and then I'll leave it with God. Because he can do what I can't possibly do. And if you get to the point where you can do that, you're going to get rid of your worrying. At least the biggest part of it. Even Jesus was discouraged. Even Jesus worried on occasion. Isaiah, he foretold the coming Messiah about 800 years before Jesus came into the world. And sometimes he speaks as though he was Jesus himself. He speaks the very words that Jesus will speak when he comes into the world 800 years later. And here's what Jesus 
will say, according to Isaiah. In Isaiah 49 and verse 4, the American Standard Version, it reads, I said, I have labored in vain all the work I've done since I came into the world has been for nothing because nobody's listening. That's the way he would feel on occasion. I have spent my strength for naught and vanity. He did the best he could possibly do and he felt like a failure. Sometimes. During those moments of depression, concern, and anxiety. Remember, he was tempted in all points like we are. The only difference is he didn't give in to the temptation like we do. And he rose above it. Divine providence will curb worry. I meant to go through this last part, but I'm not going to have time. I'm sorry. Because... Uh, it's very important. But you can read verses 26 to 33 in Matthew chapter 6. It's not too hard to understand. And what the Lord is giving us is a recipe to follow in order to subside our worrying. But it all comes down basically to faith in God. Worrying is a terrible thing. As I've said, I've done my fair share. And I think back sometimes how silly it was. No matter how much I worried, my worrying didn't change anything. I could sit around and brood and grieve, feel sorry for myself. And for all my trouble, nothing, absolutely nothing happened that was good instead of worrying instead of allowing the pressures in your life to overcome you resolve in your heart I've got no control over any of this stuff I'm going to be the best me I could possibly be I'm going to try to make my God happy and I'm going to leave him with the rest. And what will be, will be. There's a better day coming. And then that day, all of these problems will seem like nothing. You've got to help yourself. You've got to help yourself. You can't help yourself, but you've got to do it. I'll talk about things like this in the future. I know how bad it is to feel that way. Oh, I feel so sorry for everybody. It's a horrible thing to have to go through. If you ever need help, come and talk to me or call me or whatever, and we'll talk and see if we can't help things. Or you can talk to Sean or you can talk to Carl. Uh, we've got a lot of learned men and women around here that can help you out. Don't allow problems to get the better of you. This is the bad time of year. This is a bad time of year for a lot of people. Don't let that happen, do you? Look up. Think good thoughts.
if you're not a Christian, you are to learn to believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. We begin by believing and repenting and confessing him by being baptized in water for forgiveness of sins. As Christians, <laughs> I like to say we never get down in the dumps, but that's not true. Oh, I, I remember listening to a preacher one time. I was at work, and I was laying down on a bed in the nurse's station. I forgot what happened. But uh, this preacher came in, and he didn't know I was behind that curtain. And I heard him telling her about he had no problems whatsoever in his life. He told her that. Nothing going wrong. Everything was lovely. Him and his wife and kids, they never had a crossword. And I thought, man, my wife ain't nothing like that. My wife fusses on me all the time. And he felt so blessed. I guess he would be if it had been true. Don't let people get in your head with stuff like that. We all worry. We all struggle. We're all alike. Let's face it. There's not, a, there's not much difference between us when it comes to our emotions and things like that.